Eagles Entertainment. Eagle Eye in the Sky is fueled by Gatorade, the official sports drink of the Philadelphia Eagles. Anything that moves, I don't care who it is. Let's go. Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right of the week. We've got an important divisional matchup to break down as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade, continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 379. At the top of today's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I chat with Greg Cosell from NFL Films so that we can break down Sunday's huge Eagles game against the Washington football team. What are the big items to focus on for Sunday? Greg and I have got you covered right at the top of the show. Before we get there, just a couple things I want to make sure we hit on. Number one, make sure you head on over to our Apple podcast page, Leave us a rating. Leave us a comment. If you've got a question, now's the time. Jump on. Leave that question in the comment box, and we will answer it here on an upcoming show. Also, while you're over at our Apple podcast page, make sure you search for the Journey to the Draft podcast, because this week we have got a special edition of the show. Not only did I have Eagle Senior Director of College Scouting, Anthony Patch, on to talk about scouting running backs, but we also did a full round one mock draft. The Eagles in this mock draft, three first-round picks. Who did the Eagles take in this mock? You're going to have to go and find out. Over on the Journey to the Draft podcast, myself, Dane Brugler, Ben Fennel, Eric Edholm from Yahoo Sports. We broke it all down, 32 picks. It was a really fun exercise. Make sure you go find that wherever podcasts can be found. That said, let's get this conversation rolling. Excited to catch up with Greg after the bye week and talk about this matchup. Eagles, Washington, let's break it down in Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. All right, well, excited to welcome back here to the show my friend Greg Cosell from NFL Films. Greg, uh, the the bye week for the Eagles is over. Uh, obviously, you did not have a bye week. Although, you know what I did, Fran? I'm just going to tell you, not that anybody cares. You know, sometimes I feel like when people tweet about their lives, but I decided on Saturday, I just woke up Saturday morning and said, you know what? I can't go in the office today. It was the first day. Oh, look at you. Including weekends since maybe mid-August that I was not sitting in this chair on a, on a, you know, working. I just said, I, I need, I need a day off. I think you should have, I mean, you should have shouted that out. Like, I mean, you, you, I think you should have like posted a picture of yourself, like lounging on a chair or like letting the world know, like this is a momentous occasion. Uh, Probably not, but it was for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you you got to get a, a little bit of rest. Uh, yeah. the this season. But uh, Greg, let, let's talk through this matchup here Sunday. And obviously, look, the Eagles did not play this weekend. Washington, however, did play. They fell uh, to the Dallas Cowboys. Kind of an ugly game, to be honest, on both sides. I didn't feel like either team uh, played particularly great. But uh, interesting takeaways uh, on both sides. We'll start uh, with the Washington offense going up against this Eagles defense. We'll kind of just start uh, framing the discussion. And I guess we'll start uh, with... With the, the, this quarterback, uh, Taylor Heineke, uh, was all the rage uh, coming into this one. What he did over the course of that four-game win streak that Washington had built up, uh, I mean, he was performing and executing as one of the top quarterbacks in the NFL. In that, in that, uh, From weeks 10 through 14, so 10, 11, 12, 13, uh, yeah. he was 4-0. He was completing over 77% of his passes. That was third in the league. He had a 7-2 to touchdown-interception ratio. His passer rating was third in the league, all of that uh, via NFL next-gen stats. I think when you look at Heineke, he was executing that offense really, really well. This week against Dallas, not so much. What did you see from the film? How did, how did Heineke kind of well, get out of that rhythm against the Cowboys? Well, let's do, you know, I think it makes more sense to talk about Heineke at his best because okay, obviously we know he's not, you know, a top-five quarterback in the league. But I think 
it almost goes back to last year in the playoff game against the Bucks when he had to play and actually played pretty well. And I thought they actually, the coaching staff, which is the same offensive coordinator, Scott Turner, same quarterback coach, Ken Sampisi, you know, they did a really good job in that game a year ago. But Heineke's a fascinating guy. Obviously, he does not have a big arm. It's very evident when you watch the tape. He, just, the, he can't really drive the football. And, and again, he sh he's shorter. So that, that combination is why he's Taylor Heineke. But he plays with a really good feel for where to go with the ball. He has movement ability. He's, I don't even want to say he's deceptive with his movement. He's a really good mover. He can make second reaction plays and he has a feel for escaping pressure, Fran. Wouldn't you agree? He just has a natural feel for that. Yeah. And, yeah we, and we saw that he had a, on the, was it on the two point play uh, that he ran it in this past week? He's got that ability yeah. to escape. He's not what you would call dynamic in any way, but I think he's got, he's got a little savvy to him for sure. Yes. And, and the other thing I'd say is even though he's not big, there's almost a physical component to his game. I mean, he's he's a tough physical player, um, despite the fact that what is he six feet two hundred? I mean, six, I one, don't two, know. 10, exactly. yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Whatever he is, but but he, he's an interesting player to watch because obviously, when you see the ball come out of his hand, you never go, "Wow, look at that great throw!" But he makes throws. Um, he knows where to go with the football. He has a sense of timing and rhythm to his game. He can elude pressure. He can make second reaction plays. And there's and there is a physicality to his game. So he's he's a really interesting player to watch. And he's not an easy guy to play against. Sure. Uh, and when you look at it from this game, I felt like Dallas, you know, that the, they were able to get uh, a lot of good pressure on him and kind of keep oh. that pocket muddy. And I feel like his mechanics really suffered in this game. I thought he was uh, undisciplined in his drops, his footwork, yep. his throwing mechanics. Uh, and that took what is what you would call, I mean, like subpar arm strength and it makes that worse. It makes the placement worse. And that's why you saw to, uh, you know, some of the, the least or less successful uh, offense oh. there for Washington. He, the last he month. has the tendency to drop his arm angle, which causes his, uh, some of his throws to be high. And that's been a problem, you know, even though I just mentioned some of his positives, that's been a problem for him at times when he drops his arm angle, which he does have a tendency to do. And so looking into this game, uh, look, coming out of the game against Dallas, uh, he had a, a banged up knee. Uh, apparently there's a, a shoulder as well. Apparently there were reports that he was going to get an MRI uh, early on uh, in, in this week. And so we'll see uh, what his status is. We're recording this uh, on early Monday evening. But uh, Kyle Allen uh, is the backup behind Taylor Heineke. So if Heineke can't go, it would be Kyle Allen in this game. He's a player that uh, was traded by Washington, for Washington, <laughs> to, to Washington from Carolina, uh, played for Scott Turner, Ron Rivera. Yes. Uh, down there with the Panthers. It's just to kind of get your take on Kyle Allen uh, and what he brings to the table. And he's, he's had NFL experience. Um, and Kyle Allen, if I'm not mistaken, when he came out of high school, was the number one recruited quarterback yes. in the country. He was a big-time big time recruit, no doubt. From Arizona, I believe. Uh, yeah. And he knows Scott Turner's offense. He's When he played, was it two years ago when he played, when he had those starts for Carolina? Yep. He had a stretch where he played okay. Um you know, he can execute the offense. Look, he came in this week and made that great throw to DeAndre Carter that he should have caught. I mean, that was a great ball. So you can put him in there and he can execute your offense. Um, he's a better thrower than Heineke. He certainly doesn't move as well as Heineke. He's not going to make those second reaction plays in the same manner Heineke does. But if you can protect him, he can line up and throw the football. Uh, so, you know, I, I think Let's put it this way. I think it would be a mistake for Eagles fans to think that whoever plays quarterback is not going to be able to, to execute this offense. 
especially because they're really the kind of the engine behind this offense over their success over that since that bye week in week nine uh, has been the run game. And Antonio Correct. Gibson has been kind of the stalwart there uh, watching all of their big runs over the last month and change uh, you know, a lot of outside zone, but they also will hit you up inside with some trap schemes as well. They really kind of vary things up inside outside, but Gibson has been that workhorse despite the fact that he's been fighting through uh, injuries for most of the season. Yeah. And, and clearly look, they've had some games this year where he's had 25 plus carries. Um, they would really like that to be the case in any given week. Um, and that means they're controlling the pace and tempo of the game. That means their defense, which we will get to shortly. That means their defense is doing his job, but they feature as their foundation, as you know, Fran, the outside zone game. And, uh, you know, to me, Gibson is a, he, first of all, he's big. I don't think you, you almost have to see this guy to realize how big he is. I mean, um, he's six, he's six two two twenty. People think, oh, he's a former receiver. Oh, he's a smaller. He's six two two twenty. I mean, he's a big back. He is a big dude and he runs with power. He has natural power. He's got burst. He runs with velocity. I wouldn't call him shifty and elusive, but uh, he's a downhill runner. He has a good feel in his own run game for the one cut element to it. He's run with pretty good patience and vision this year. <clears throat> and I think in the run game, their O-line has actually done a pretty good job. Um, you know, there are a lot of names that people think, oh, they're not that good. Um, their most athletic O-lineman to me is Brandon Sheriff, the right guard. You see a lot of plays where he gets to the second level and moves extremely well. I think Eric Flowers has done a nice job at left guard. He's much more of a power player to me. And, and actually in the run game, I think Charles Leno at left tackle, who has been a, an easy whipping boy for a lot of people over the last couple of years, you know, to me, Leno and Flowers have sort of provided a bit of stability with their old line because I believe Sher Sheriff missed some games. So it's their old line, I think, has done well in the run game. Yeah, I mean, they, they came in, they had Chase Roulier at center, he's been out. Uh, they had Sam Cosme, the rookie second-round pick at right tackle, he's out. So Cornelius yep. Lucas has stepped in. Leno, I, you know, as you mentioned, some of these other guys have been in and out of the lineup. So they've been kind of uh, mixing and matching here. But this isn't a bad line. I, I, you oh. talk about Scherf. I mean, Scherf is an outstanding player. Uh, Flowers is so violent. I mean, he is a, he's a mauler in the run game. That's that's his strength. Uh, okay. And then Leno, as you mentioned, I mean, he's, he's a guy that I think is a serviceable player. So uh, this isn't a, a terrible line. Um, I think, you know, obviously, there are some weaknesses. It's not like the it's going to be the strongest. But it is, it is a group that uh, isn't going to go out and embarrass itself more, more likely. I mean, it, look, they, they had a rough go with some of these matchups here against Dallas. But Dallas had all their horses back uh, here for this game up front. And we know that they do a lot of different things. So. Uh, they kind of kept Washington's line on their toes from that standpoint. Yeah. But I mean, you know, we know that the run game is the starting point. They would love to be in a situation with the way the game plays out for Antonio Gibson to get 20 plus carries. Um, uh, you know, McKissick is an interesting player as well. Uh, so, you know, I think that their, their offense is not great by any means, but the biggest thing about their offense, in in some ways, it's like the Eagles, different different in terms of how it's it's put together and executed. But they really want to control the pace and tempo of the game with their run game, and yeah. then have everything work off that. And uh, some weeks you can do that, some weeks you can't. They obviously couldn't quite do it as well this week against um, Dallas, and of course they got behind, so that kind of threw threw everything 
you know, at the window for the way they really wanted to play. Yeah. I think when you look at the way that they function, uh, if they're top five in pre-snap motion, you see a ton of motion yep. um, and they'll mix up personnel groupings. Last year, J.D. McKissick was a really big part of what they were doing. You know, they flexed him out. They did all kinds of things with him in the slot. I think with some of the weapons that they've added this offseason with uh, Adam Humphreys and, uh, you know, getting Curtis Samuel and De'Ami Brown, like they've added a bunch of pieces. So I think they haven't necessarily leaned on that as much, but I still yep. think that this is a this is a creative offense. And we're talking about the, the, the run game and the offensive line. I want I want to throw in the rookie tight end, uh, John Bates in here as well. He is a lot of fun to watch at the point of attack. Uh, this kid, he was a fourth round pick this year out of Boise state, six, six, just under 260 pounds. And I thought he was a really good combo tight end coming out of school. And this kid has come in and been a really impressive blocker on film. He really gets after it, whether he's on the play side or on the backside, uh, they use him a lot of ways and, he, and he's a fun player. And he's been their starting tight end uh, with Logan Thomas out with injury uh, for these last few weeks. Yeah, and, and he's a critical piece to what they do because they are a run-first team. And you know what? He's also struck me. I didn't do him in as much detail as you did coming out, and uh, but he's a little more athletic than I thought he'd be. I mean, he's, yes. not, he's not necessarily, you know, a 4-4 guy who's going to run by people. But, you know, I think in the short to intermediate area, he can be a factor in the pass game. Yeah, he was he was very underutilized. He did not have a lot of production in college, but uh, he tested well at his pro day. And more importantly, at the senior bowl, I thought he really showed out. I thought he had a really good performance down there. So he kind of showed that he had some pass game chops. I don't think a lot of people expected him to be a fourth round pick before that week at the senior bowl. But he showed what he can do as a pass catcher. And it gives people a lot of faith that he could be that kind of uh, that kind of combo tight end. So John Bates, a player to watch here in this game. And uh, let's transition real quick to some of the other pass catchers here. The big one is Terry McLaurin, who left this game uh, with a concussion. Uh, he was shadowed the entire game by Trevon Diggs, uh, who just continues to really, really impress me on film, Greg. But uh, just sticking here with Washington, McLaurin coming into this game or coming out of this game, he's got 100 targets. The second leading target getter is McKissick with 51. So it just gives you a sense of just how yeah. tight this fa- this pass game funnel is here in this offense. McLaurin is the featured weapon. If he can't go, that's a huge, huge loss for the way that they want to play offense. A huge loss. And I think they expected more from Diami Brown, the rookie from North Carolina, and he's not really been playing a ton of snaps in recent weeks. So uh, you're right. It's McLaurin who who can line up anywhere and can run all different kinds of routes. He, he's, he's a factor at the short, intermediate, and vertical levels. So if he can't go – I think that really changes their passing game in in not a great way. I mean, no. it's it's it, it'd be interesting to see what their approach would be. I think their overall approach wouldn't change, but they'd have to maybe be a little more creative in their route concepts. Yeah, I mean, when you talk about some of these other pieces, I think fit in nicely with roles. But I think McLaurin is the guy that really kind of brings it all together because, as you mentioned, he is that three level threat. So Deami yeah. Brown, he does some of his best work downfield. Curtis Samuel can be that kind of gadget player. Humphreys is a nice target in the the quick game and intermediate area, but having that guy McLaren who can kind of be that X factor uh, really kind of opens the whole thing up. So uh, just something to watch here as, as the week goes on, if he can't go uh, definitely a big, big loss there for that Washington football team. Um, Look, uh, trying to see how the, from just spinning it ahead uh, to this matchup here for the Eagles. uh, You know, if look, they haven't really necessarily shadowed Darius Slay to one side or the other in most games. So my guess is he can't go. We'll see Slay at left corner. We'll see Steven, Nelson, as long as he's healthy uh, over at right yeah. corner uh, and this team, will be, it'll all be about trying to stop the run here against this team. Yeah, I think that's the starting point, but you're right. It'd be interesting to see if the Eagles make an exception because other than McLaurin, there's no one you're really going to look at in this receiving core that you have to account for specifically. So it would be interesting to see 
if the Eagles step out of what they've done for the large, large majority of the season and do travel slay with McLaurin, uh, I guess we we won't know that until no. Sunday. But um, uh, but yeah, everything else has to be geared towards stopping the run. I think you'll see the five man fronts by the Eagles with the two stack backers. Um, and, and because that's really been their, their main base defensive front approach, it's a five, two. And I think you'll definitely see that in this game. Yeah. And I think that, that, you know, the other part of that is if Heineke goes, you know, trying to mirror some of the things that Dallas did, not necessarily schematically, but philosophically of just kind of getting him off his rhythm. Uh, if you're able to stop the run, get the Heineke pressure, I'm gonna see if he can throw you a couple. Cause uh, you know, there, there were some bad decisions in this game. Some errant balls, as we kind of yeah. talked about, uh, if you can kind of force him into those situations uh, that would definitely benefit you, uh, this Eagles team. You know, that in the uh, DB room uh, this week when they have their meetings, the DB coach for the Eagles is saying, hey, he's going to throw us a few. Let's make sure we catch him. All right. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, there were definitely some opportunities there, uh, extra opportunities there for Dallas. Uh, let's get over to the other side of the football with this Washington football team defense. Wait, it's I, a good I, group. I've got to tell you, Fran, I've, I've probably seen them every single week this year, okay? Just that's the way it's worked out. They're actually a fun defense to watch. And they've made a lot of changes, and we'll, which we'll get into in a moment here. Um, a lot of changes, which obviously have been for the better, um, which you give a, a lot of credit to a veteran coaching staff led by Ron Rivera, who's a defensive coach at heart, Jack Del Rio, who's been doing this a long, long time. Um, so to make changes like they've made in the middle of a season and actually improve is a real tribute to the staff and the players. So what, what, in your mind, what was the biggest change uh, from what you saw the first not, you know, eight, nine weeks versus what we've seen uh, since that point? I would say two things. Number one, they started the season being a man-to-man heavy defense. You know, they were up there in terms of playing cover one high, among the higher percentages in the league through the first eight or nine games of their season. And then all of a sudden they played Tampa week 10, which is a game they won. It was obviously viewed as a big upset given what Washington's record was at the time. Uh and they all of a sudden played high, high percentage zone coverage, only playing man really on third down. Um, and they've been that way ever since. Their man-to-man percentage has gone dramatically down. Their zone numbers have gone dramatically up. They do blitz a lot of zone pressures, um, but they, they've totally changed their coverage uh, approach to, to being a zone-heavy team. And the other thing they they – They've now done, which I can't remember if it actually started with the week 10 game, but they've gone to um, big nickel as one of their base defenses, which means they play with three safeties, Landon Collins, um, Cameron Curl, who I thought last year when he replaced Collins played really, really well. I think he's a good player. He's often their tight end matchup. So that's something to watch in this game versus Dallas Goddard. But it's, it's Collins, Cameron Curl and McCain is the post safety. Yeah, and McCain has been kind of that every down guy. It seems like depending yeah. on the package, if it's going to be their base with two safeties or if they're going to go big nickel or regular nickel, uh, you know, they're going to switch out uh, Cameron Curl and Landon Collins. But uh, no, the, the usage of those safeties has really been interesting. Um, you look at the when they go into their regular nickel, which they, they do a little bit less of. It's been Danny Johnson, uh, Danny at least Johnson was this yeah. week. Um, but I, I think when you look at this, the, the way that they kind of utilize those guys uh, on the back end, on the outside, you've got Kendall Fuller and William Jackson. It's a pretty good veteran duo, uh, of course. Uh, relying on their instincts and their ability to kind of read routes and uh, attack the football, rally to the football. Uh, it's been an effective formula for them. Yeah, and they've also, like the Eagles, they do not travel. They do not match up. They play sides for the most part. Jackson is the left corner. Fuller is the right corner. Um, so, like I said, they do not match up. 
the, the other thing that we should absolutely talk about, which I think will come into play significantly playing the Eagles with the Eagles run game is they play a lot of five defensive line fronts. So that's another thing to keep in mind um, as, as we look to the matchup where they actually play five D linemen, not just a five man front, you know, like the Eagles will play with, you know, with uh, Avery as the fifth guy who's technically a linebacker, but um, what the, uh, what Washington does is they will play with five D linemen. And uh, uh, that's something they've done all year. Um, and they're good at it. And they reduce the front where, where they cover the two guards and the offensive center. And it's very hard to run inside against that front. I, I want to get into that a little bit and just kind of sink our teeth into that. So you talk about reducing the front. You kick those defensive tackles inside. Uh, you've got a, a nose tackle head up on the center. And then you've got, the, you know, whether it's Jonathan Allen or, or Matt Ioannidis, those guys lined up inside the offensive tackles over the offensive guards. When you have those three guys all covering the guard center guard, what does that do to a, an opposing offense and the, and the run schemes? Well, I think to some degree it limits your 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 run blocking schemes because you've got you can't get guys to the second level right off the ball. Uh, they have to work through guys. So you know theoretically it it keeps your linebackers clean because a lot of they'll play a five two front. Um, they'll play five D linemen and they'll. Uh, they could either play big nickel out of that, in which Collins will often be in a, as a box player, or they could play a 5-2 front where it's Cole Holcomb and Jamin Davis. And those guys then are free to react to what's in front of them. Yep, but you can't clean. get you can't get offensive linemen right off the ball to the second level, which you really like to do in his own run game. Yeah. And if you're going to do that, if you're going to, you know, if you, if you just like look it up on a, on a whiteboard and say, OK, if we're going to get the center up to the mic backer right away, you're creating a very difficult block for that backside guard to be able to cut off the nose tackle. Right? So oh. you're somewhere you're going to have a difficult block or you're keeping yeah. the backers clean. Correct. And and again, Jonathan Allen's status as we speak now, he could well play Sunday. We don't know. But if he plays, I mean, that group, Allen and Payne to me and and. And I know you watched a lot this week in preparation for this matchup. But as I said, I've watched them all year, Fran. Those guys over the last four, five, six weeks have just been Payne and Allen, the Alabama duo there. They have been absolutely dominant players. And I got to tell you, Matt Ioannidis, he's a very good player and actually has been for a couple of years. And he, you know, he's probably, if you just look at him as an individual, he's he's the third guy in this group. He gets a meaningful number of snaps. He's a really good defensive tackle. Yes. Yeah, he would start for a lot of teams. I think that guy sure came would. out of the, he, uh, he I think he came out of the womb being a, being a killer on stunts. I mean, he is so good yeah. uh, when they when they loop him, when they use him as a pinner. I mean, they, he's really really effective uh, in those schemes, and they, and they do utilize him in that way. They've done it really throughout the, his entire career, regardless of coaching staff. So uh, I think when you look at, at those three, and Tim Settle, no slouch either. The, the no. tackle. So it's a it's a really good group inside. As you mentioned, Jonathan Allen, his status at this point. We're recording this Monday evening. Uh, he went on the COVID nineteen list uh, on. Monday afternoon. So we'll see uh, if he's able to go or not. And then that is up in the air uh, at this point, but both he and, and Duran Payne have been outstanding. Now, when you get to the outside, that's where things have been a little bit dicey because of injury. Chase Young on injury reserve. Montez Sweat was on on short-term injury reserve, then was on the COVID-19 list. And his status right now, we just got to kind of have to wait and see uh, if Montez Sweat will be able to go. But uh, this week, I mean, they're playing Daniel Wise, who they signed off the street this year as a – he was a former defensive tackle. They're playing him as a stand-up defensive end. Uh, they had Shaka Tony, a rookie seventh-round pick out of Penn State. He's playing because James Smith-Williams, the, the starter behind Montez Sweat, 
Well, he was on the COVID-19 list, so they've really kind of had to dip deep into the bag uh, to find some guys to be able to play off the edge. Former Eagle Casey Tool is there. Uh, they've got a couple other rookies as well kind of rotating in. So uh, they're, they're just trying to you know throw some duct tape on this thing off the edge, but still getting bodies in there that are executing the scheme as needed. Without question. I mean, this is, you know, uh, the last, obviously not, not the game against Dallas, but for the last, what, three, four weeks, the starting defensive ends, edge players have been Casey Tool and James Smith-Williams. And they've, they've more than held their own, Fran. I mean, I think you would agree, watching the tape, they've more than held their own. Yeah, and Daniel Wise, I, I thought, really stood out uh, yeah. against Dallas. It was against his former yeah. team. He actually played a little bit with Dallas uh, last year. Um, getting back to real quick, you talked about some of the different fronts and some of the bear looks. Uh, look, it doesn't mean that the Eagles can't find ways to be able to run the ball against the team. There are different runs that you can use against a bear look. But I, I think the big thing, the other the X factor here, is a healthy Jalen Hurts. They haven't necessarily seen that kind of element uh, from the run game. Their run game numbers have been really, really good, especially over the last month uh, in terms of what they're allowing on the ground. But kind of like what we talked about a few weeks ago uh, with that Saints defense, really, really good against the run. But when you have that quarterback and the willingness to kind of weaponize his mobility and use the quarterback run game and the option run game and all the different elements and layers that the Eagles have, uh, that's a that's a whole different challenge for defense as a whole. Without question. But they, in this five-game stretch, they've allowed 79 rushing yards per game. And the most passing yards they allowed in that stretch was 233 yards to the Seahawks, believe it or not. So, But you're right. It's, it's a different animal when you play the Eagles. You, you can't just worry about your base-type runs, even though the Eagles do run those, because you always have the Jalen Hurts factor. And that changes. It, it may not change your exact alignments. But I think it, it changes the way you teach guys and coach them that week leading up to playing the Eagles. And then looking at, uh, up at the second level, you mentioned Cole Holcomb. You mentioned Jameen Davis. Dave, a good David player. Mayo. Uh, Davis. a good player. Holcomb's a, he's turned into a nice player. He's a former, yeah. I believe, a fifth-round pick coming out of North Carolina a couple of years ago. He tested um, but, really well, by the way. Was not invited to the Combine. And if you recall, had a great pro day. He did. Uh, I wanted to ask you about Jameen Davis because he was a really intriguing player coming out of Kentucky this past year. Uh, first favorite. round pick. They took him 19 overall, um, 6'3", 234 pounds. This guy's got long, uh, vine-like arms. He's explosive. He's rangy. The play has been inconsistent. I'm interested to kind of get your take on what you've seen, uh, not just this week against Dallas, but just on the whole with Jameen Davis. I thought this week against Dallas, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to say he took a step back. He's a rookie, but he just didn't play as well as I thought he had over the last three, four weeks where I felt like he was really coming on. You start to see more splash plays. You start to see the athleticism and the range showing up more. Um, uh, it didn't show up quite as much this week, but I think that will continue. Um, you know, he, he's going to be a good player. Uh, and you're, he's just so rangy and the, some of the plays he makes, you just see that ability, that length and that range really come into play. Yeah, I think the, he's a really interesting study from the fact that, look, the guy's got all the, the tools and the coverage upside is very, very high. Um, yeah. but as you're learning the game mentally, you're not always going to play to those numbers, play to that speed. And so uh, you're going to see plays when you watch it, we're like, oh, man, like that's exactly how it looks. And then you're going to see or that, that's how it should look. That's how you want it to look. And then you'll see others where it's like, oh, he's just a step slow to see it or he's still uh, kind of thinking things through. Yeah. And you, you can kind of see that and see that mental development. You see that with a lot of young players. So uh, an interesting player here to follow 
Gallo moving forward. Uh, Greg, I guess just from a, a key to the game standpoint for the Eagles, uh, as you mentioned, a whole ton of zone coverage. Uh, so the Eagles will have to bring out their zone beaters uh, in this game and have to dial up because uh, that's the thing too, kind of going through the numbers and, and watching the tape. It's not like they major in cover four or cover three or cover two or cover six. They play a lot of everything. They really kind of mix the Rolodex in terms of the zone coverages. So you just have to have right. those answers ready from game day. You know, I'm not a predictor, you know that, Fran, but I I just have a funny feeling that the Eagles are going to come out because I I feel like you know what you're going to get with Washington. It would not surprise me to see the Eagles come out throwing. Interesting. It would not surprise. I'm not saying there are, you know, people listening, they're not going to run the ball, you know, but it would not surprise me to see them with, with a week to prepare, knowing who they're playing against. You know, that's the thing. They, you know, don't forget the coaches study all this, that maybe the players get time off. And the coaches might get a couple of days, but the coaches are studying this back to last week because they know who their their opponent's going to be. Because even though you're correct about Washington not being predictable with their zone coverage, they do know they're going to get zone. And there are certain route concepts that pretty much work against almost any zone. And it would not surprise me to see them come out throwing the ball a little bit. And of course there are going to be tendencies that opposing offenses, including the Eagles offense, that you're going to have a bead on some of the, you know, Hey, it's third and long. These are the kind of zone coverage that I like to play from this personnel grouping or this right, time right, in the, right. this part of the field. So, uh, you know, you and I uh, may not be able to see that, but uh, the offenses are going to get a sense of, Hey, this is the kind of coverage they like to play here. Let's dial up concepts that uh, are going to be able to work against this coverage. And so uh, right, that will right. be a big and, one for sure. And it's funny you say that because when I watch tape and I obviously I watch tape of pretty much everybody is sometimes when I see plays, I say to myself, you know, they just knew they were going to get that coverage because the play call was so perfect against that particular zone coverage, you know, and that that's what coaches do. That's what staffs do is, yep. you know, it's, you're one guy, I'm one guy. We can't quite do that kind of, you know, detail and depth. You know, we do the best we can. I, I, I think we do it. Okay. But we certainly can't do it in, in the detail that coaches do. Right. It's a, uh, uh, you know, it's what makes the game so fun to watch. And oh, something yeah. that we'll keep an eye on here uh, in this matchup on Sunday. Greg, uh, we'll be back next week to, to break it all down with you. Thanks once again for joining us here on Chalk Talk on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade. Thanks, Fran. Hey, Eagles fans, get ready for the game each Sunday with an exclusive look at Eagles pregame warmups brought to you live each week. When you join myself, Amy Campbell, and Eagles insider Dave Spadaro on the kickoff show presented by Exalta, we provide Eagles-focused analysis, late-breaking news, and the team perspective that you cannot get anywhere else. The kickoff show presented by Exalta can be seen live 50 minutes before kickoff on PhiladelphiaEagles.com, the Eagles mobile app, and the team's social media channels. Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the Draft Mailbag. Great stuff there from Greg, who you can follow on Twitter, just like I do, at Greg Cosell. And while you're at it, I'm at EaglesXOs. That's where I post all the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's Nose content that we produce here with Eagles Entertainment. You know how much I appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on social media. That is one way to support the show. But the best way is to go on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, leave us a rating, and leave us a comment. I wanted to give a shout-out today to someone who did exactly that. Michael left a five-star review saying, while watching the All-22, nothing frustrates me more than watching why open receivers that are not being targeted during the Giants game. Much was said about Devontae Smith being open on the last play of the game for the Eagles, but at the end of the first half I also noticed a crossing route 
by an open Dallas Goddard at the goal line. Instead of an easy touchdown, an interception was thrown on fourth down. Is there anything that can be done to improve Jalen Hurts' ability to see open receivers? I've seen this happen too often. Or do you tend to believe that this is part of a skill set that a quarterback must have naturally? Well, uh, to answer that last part first, Michael, yeah, I do believe that this is something that can improve, right? It doesn't always improve, but it's something that can improve. And I think the number one thing when you're talking about and this is what can get tricky because on social media, you know, people will you know, take those screen grabs and you circle the one receiver on the opposite side of the field that's got his hand up. And it's like, oh, why wasn't this guy open? And I'm not saying that these individual plays were that. But what I'm saying is, is that it's really important to have an understanding of what a quarterback's reads and progressions are on any individual play and what can affect those reads and progressions. Obviously, the situation, uh, the, the leverage by a defender, what the route concept is. There's all kinds of things that come into play when you're talking about where a quarterback's supposed to go with the football on any given play, right? And so it's actually a conversation. If you go back to a coach's masterclass I did, not this past summer in 2021, but in summer of 2020, uh, I did this with Eagles uh, pass game coordinator, Press Taylor at the time. Uh, he and I had this conversation and just talking about quarterbacks and going through all the different kinds of progressions. And I think that this matters. I think when you're talking about uh, where a quarterback is going to go with the football, sometimes it's a, a very easy read. Hey, I'm going to go this receiver to one, to two, to three, to four, to five in the progression. Sometimes Hey, I, I'm going to work this side of the field if it's one high, this side of the field if it's two high. I'm going to work this side of the field if it's man. I'm going to work this side of the field if it's zone. I'm going to work this receiver. Then it's this high-low read in the middle of the field. Then it's the check down, right? Then sometimes you have those uh, very simple yes-nos, right? The, the RPOs and the screen games and some of those alert throws, right? I'm going to throw the alert fade uh, because of the, the leverage of a corner, right? So there are all different kinds of factors that come into where a quarterback should go with the ball on any given play. So what I would say is, yeah, are there... The, Obviously, Jalen Hurts is not going with the football exactly where he needs to go on every single play. No, no young quarterback is doing that in the league, especially when you consider uh, his level of inexperience so far in the NFL. That said, that is something that can improve. And all you, all you can do is continue to drill it, continue to call those plays, and keep putting him in position to correct those mistakes. And I think that's something we've heard from this coaching staff, whether it's been uh, Nick Sirianni or Shane Steichen. Whenever they have spoken and they talk about Jalen Hurts, it's always going to be under the, the umbrella of he rarely makes the same mistake twice. And so I think that's a big thing you want to continue to see from him moving forward is, hey, you know, if he missed this receiver, he missed receiver A, why did he miss it? Okay, he missed it because of uh, this reason. All right, well, next time, when we go to next week and he's faced with a similar kind of situation, did he go to this receiver this time? What kept him from going to the receiver that time? Is it something different? Okay, how do we coach around that? And so it, it's not always going to be getting better each and every week and stepping, you know, that, that linear improvement, that's just not something that you can uh, expect. But I think when you look at uh, just the whole body of work, continuing to see Jalen Hurts improve. I, I think it's going to be really important uh, for this team. And obviously in this four-game stretch, critical, critical, critical time of year uh, here, not just for Jalen Hurts, but uh, for this Eagles team as they try and push for the playoffs. So, Michael, really good stuff. Really appreciate the question. Thanks so much for reaching out uh, and leaving us that five-star review with your question. Hope that uh, that answer uh, satisfied what you were looking for. Great stuff from Michael. Thank you. And thank you to all of you out there for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcasts here with Eagles Entertainment. That being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade. For everybody here at the Novacare Complex, I am Fran Duffy. We will talk to you later this week. 
When the clock hits all zeros, the game might be over, but the action is not. Join us for the post-game show presented by Rico for instant reaction. Watch live as Coach Nick Sirianni and Eagles players come to the podium and meet with the media. We will make sure you do not miss a word. Myself, Ike Reese, and Gabriella DiGiovanni will also break down the game live at the desk and hear from Eagles insider Dave Spadaro to get his thoughts. The post-game show presented by Rico can be seen on PhiladelphiaEagles.com, the Eagles mobile app, and the team's social media channels.